to this episode of How Top HR Professionals Think. I'm Dr. Rosaline Glickman. Before I introduce you to our guest today, I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Bill Brewer. Bill helps organizations build teams of the best leaders to optimize their business goals. Bill is with Stanton Chase, a top 10 global executive search firm with over 70 offices in 45 countries. Clients are the Fortune 2000. Bill leads the North America Human Resource Practice Group. He has deep HR expertise and has been a Chief Human Resources Officer with three companies ranging from 3,000 to 20,000 employees. His early HR experience was with Fleur Corporation and the Walt Disney Company. With that, I'll hand it over to Bill. Thank you, Rosaline. And I'd like to introduce Dr. Rosaline Glickman, who is a seasoned executive coach who helps senior executives, YPO leaders, and rising stars to optimize value, communications, and performance with optimal thinking. Rosaline has delivered over 2,500 presentations to corporations, associations, and business groups. On an individual basis, she has provided over 30,000 hours of one-on-one coaching. She is the creator of numerous optimization products, including the Optimal Thinking 360 assessment deployed by more than 6,500 organizations around the globe. Rosalina, I'll turn it back over to you. So it's my pleasure now to introduce today's guest. Doug Balsbo has 27 years of human resources experience in a variety of roles with United Technologies Corporation. He most recently was the Chief Human Resources Officer for Raytheon Technologies, where he was responsible for leading all aspects of human capital management through the merger of United Technologies Corporation and Raytheon Corporation, creating a $70 billion business with 195,000 associates. Previously, Doug served as Chief Human Resources Officer for United Technologies Collins Aerospace and UTC Aerospace Systems. He's also held senior human resource positions at Carrier Corporation for its residential business and its Latin American operations based in Brazil. Throughout his career, he's developed expertise in all facets of human resource management, In recent years, Doug successfully integrated large-scale acquisitions with a focus on cultural change and creating high-performance teams. His professional career began in the U.S. Army, where he served as a Black Hawk helicopter pilot. Doug holds a bachelor's degree from the United States Military Academy at West Point and an MBA from Columbia University. So with that, I'll hand it over to Bill with the first question. Great. Thank you, Rosaline. Doug, you've got an incredible background. I'm pleased to have you with us discussing how the top HR professionals think. So my first question to you is quite simply, how do you stimulate an individual's desire to contribute their best? Yeah, thanks, Bill, and thanks, Rosaline. I think the way you do that is really establishing the right environment or the right ecosystem around the individual. Do you have an environment where that individual feels like they belong, that they are part of the organization or part of the company? And how do you do that? I think there's a couple of ways. 
One is you have transparency. The individuals need to understand what makes the organization work, what makes the business successful, what's working, maybe what are the opportunities to improve for the business. I think it's also about transparency for the individual. How are they doing? What are they doing well? What are their strengths? What are their opportunities to improve? What are their advancement opportunities? You have to be transparent because they have to feel that it's an open and honest environment in order to contribute their best. I think along with that, you have to give an individual a voice. One of the phrases we used to use quite a bit was, we don't want people checking their brain at the door when they come into work every day. Uh, We pay people very, very well, and we do it because we want them to bring their whole self. We want them to bring their minds to work. And so we want them to have a voice on how the business is running. What are their thoughts? What are their ideas? I really want them to respectfully challenge the status quo where appropriate. To make that work, though, you have to listen, and you have to not always agree with the individual, but at least you have to listen to what they have to say. And if you set that environment, that open, transparent environment, people flourish in that environment, and they will contribute their best. I guess the last point I would make is you can't micromanage people. Now, micromanagement depends on the level of maturity and where a person is in their career, but you cannot micromanage the individual and expect them to contribute their best. You got to give them some room to run. You got to give them some room to think for themselves, to use their creativity in the workplace. Phrase I use frequently, I heard this back a few years ago, but it's minds on, hands off. As leaders of a business, you need to understand what's going on. You need to understand what people are doing and help, of course, correct as necessary. But you can't be so hands on that you're micromanaging and you're taking away the empowerment of those individuals. So if you do those things, I think you'll find people will contribute their best. Mm, Excellent, Doug. So in my work in the creation of the Optimal Thinking 360 assessment, the core belief that empowers people to be their best is making the best of ourselves is the reason we were born. In other words, our main job in this world is to be our best self. Every situation is an opportunity to be our best. In an optimal thinking workplace, employees are motivated by doing their best regardless of the circumstances. They don't need a pat on the back from management or a bonus to do their best. They ask questions like, how can I make the most of this situation? Or what's my or our highest priority right now? Or what are the best actions we can take to achieve what's most important? And so what you're saying is that you create an environment where the employees can openly share who they are and how they can be their best. If they are off track, then you're able to openly collaborate, fine-tune and optimise. Have I got you correctly? Yes, Yes, absolutely. You are, are spot on. People want to make themselves be the best person they can be. And I honestly believe that most people go to work or go to whatever organization they're a part of every day and want to do their best. It's a positive assumption that I think everybody should make each and every day when they interact with people. So what you're saying, and I think we all agree, is that everyone wants to bring the best version of themselves to work each and every day. And an optimal environment or a best place to work environment is a place which encourages them to be their best, to bring the best version of themselves to work. How would you differentiate between encouraging an individual to be their best as compared to encouraging a team to be their best? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities between the individual and the team. Back to sort of the point I made about the individual where people don't want to be micromanaged. They want to be able to use their, their capabilities and their talents to contribute to the broader organization. And I think that's true about a team as well. One of the most disempowering things I've seen happen to a team is if they're micromanaged and they feel like every single decision is taken from them, it's hard to contribute their best. And so you really need to work on empowering a team. And how do you do that? It's by creating the proper vision and really the purpose for the team. What is the reason the team exists? Providing clear goals and objectives for the team so they understand what does success look like. And then also, and this is something I think a lot of people miss, but it's providing clear decision-making rights to a team. What decisions do they have the right to make within the organization versus maybe what other decisions maybe are held by somebody else? So that people really understand where they operate and what decisions they have to make in order to improve the organization or achieve success within a particular project uh, that the team is working on. I think the last thing is this regular follow-up, clearly. You got to follow up with the team. You got to help course correct if things are going in, in the wrong direction. But people want to understand that you're listening, that you're engaged, that you're there to help them succeed. And I think those are key elements to helping a team really contribute their best. Because if the team feels like you're there for them and you're there to help them succeed, they will naturally contribute fully because that is where they want to be. That's where the individual wants to be. They want to contribute to the success of an organization. Absolutely. The last point I would make is that something I've used in the past, it's really a simple uh, mechanism, but it's something that we would call a back brief. So is the individual or as the team in this case is given a, an objective or goals or, or they're working on a particular project to make sure there's that alignment and that clarity, I would have the team come back and back brief me possibly in a day or two, maybe in a week, depends on the size and scope of the team. But tell me, okay, so you heard what the task was. You heard what the goals and the objectives were. You know, now tell me, in your own words, what that is and how you're going to go about achieving that. And what I find is it's really simple. It's really basic. But if there's disconnects, if there's misalignments, you catch those right away. And it helps to ensure you have that alignment in the beginning so that then the team can go and perform and you really don't have to micromanage the team at that point. So you fine-tune and optimize, and when you choose the best, you can put it to rest. Very true. Yeah, realistic expectations and stimulating in them the desire to be their best and then acknowledging them for contributing their best. Absolutely. Yeah, let me jump in. You know, I think every year HR leaders see change happening, but this year in particular, I think it's around the world, everybody's in agreement. There's a lot of change. So how should a chief human resources officer look around the corner to best position an organization for the future? Yeah, I think you know, looking around the corners is one of those superpowers that very few people have, but it's important to be able to see the future or visualize what the future might look like, particularly, I think, in human resources. So a couple of things. I think in order to do that and do it effectively, you have to have the context. You have to have a deep understanding of the business and the business environment that you're operating in. My background, uh, at least recently, has been in the aerospace industry. And because of the pandemic, it's going through some very significant challenges at the moment. As a human resources person, you need to understand what are those challenges to help you see what the future needs are and help position your organization for the future. You also have to understand the industry overall. Where's the industry going? What are the trends? What are the patterns? Where's the industry going? And as a company, what is our competitive advantage in that industry? And how do I help enhance that competitive advantage to help us be successful? 
I think the third piece, you, you got to understand or you got to be aware of macro trends. In recent years, you know, a couple of macro trends that you see is digital and data analytics. And how do those types of things fit into your business, your organization, and how do they help or how do you help position your organization to leverage those new capabilities in the future? CHROs need to be intellectually curious. They need to be interested in what is going on in the world around them. But they need to be discriminating in their thoughts because there's a lot of flavor of the month type of stuff. So understand what's going on, look at the trends, look at the patterns, but then apply some discretion and say, okay, what of that applies to my particular organization and my particular business? And I think that's particularly critical in the current environment with the pandemic, where it is hard to predict the future. And there's a lot of speculation that there's a new normal out there, even after the pandemic passes. But what does that mean for your organization? So being intellectually curious, I think, will help clarify the future for you. Doug, I wish every HR professional was able to articulate what you've just shared. Doug, can you give us a little bit of an inkling as to what inspires you to be your best? I think that changes over time for anybody. I think back earlier in my career, and I think like many people in an early career situation, you want to succeed, you want to advance, you want to progress in an organization. But as time goes on, I think that shifts, and at least it has for me what inspires me now, it's making a difference. And that can be a little bit trite sounding, but I I do think it's true. And I think making a difference in a couple of ways. I mean, one is in the business, particularly in human resources. I feel like there is a real opportunity in many organizations for HR to make a very significant difference to the business. And I think it's an opportunity that sometimes we don't fully leverage. And so want to make a difference in the business. I like to be on a winning team. I want to help make that team win. I also want to make a difference with people. This is probably the most satisfying piece, which is I've seen people who've worked with me, particularly earlier in career, and just seeing them grow and evolve and develop and taking on bigger assignments and more responsibilities is incredibly rewarding for me. And I think the last piece is make a difference in society. We all want to be part of something that's a force for good. And so whatever organization we're in, how do we help advance society? How do we help make things better? Mm. So you're sharing the mindset of the extraordinary senior executive. Research in our 360 assessment has shown that senior executives' core motivation is to make a difference and support staff are generally motivated by acceptance and supporting senior executives who want to make a difference. That's key why you have a CHRO role and I hear it in the extraordinary mindset Thank you for sharing that. Bill, do you have some questions? I'd like to ask Doug, what is your biggest career accomplishment? Yeah, um, I would say in in recent years, it is really on the the M&A merger acquisition front. In the last, I'd say, roughly six years or so, I've been an HR leader for the two largest aerospace acquisitions uh, ever, at least the largest at the time they occurred. And then also just most recently, part of a Fortune 50 merger. And it's not so much doing the acquisition or doing the merger because that kind of is what it is. But what I feel was a real accomplishment was using those as an opportunity to really pivot the organization broadly and try and improve the overall business. A phrase that we use sort of a term was best of the best. We always wanted to take best of the best. And too often what I've seen is a company that's doing an acquisition, a lot of times it's the acquirer 
imposes everything they do on the acquiree and says, this is the way it is. This is how we do business. And sometimes that's the right answer. But what I did, what we did was we tried to really take a step back and say, look, we know we're not perfect. And where do we have opportunities? Where do we have chinks in our armor that we can work on and improve and leverage this change, this massive change that's taking place to improve our business and our organization? And that's where I think the, the real magic was and really accomplishment was. You know, so we were able to drive culture change throughout the entire combined organization. We were able to make the organization, which was a little bit, a little bit stiff, maybe a little bit uh, old school, push it to becoming more agile, more uh, nimble in their thinking and, and, and the speed in which we operate and execute. And then probably the biggest thing was really instill a much stronger focus on the customer in the organization. And so, of course, that comes down to all the human capital elements as you build an organization. It's, it's the organizational structure. It's how you reward people. It's the systems and the processes that you put in place. But really designing all that, not just taking what existed today, but designing all that to be really what was best for the organization of the future that we were trying to build. You know, I, I talk to senior executives all the time and when they've been involved in acquisitions, almost to a T, you could go across the board about one or two years later and, and just say, how did that go for you? And you usually hear, yeah, not like what we expected, but I, I love what you're saying, Doug, and, and implementing best of the best approach and acknowledging we may not be doing everything right, even though we're the acquiring company. I think that's brilliant. And the ability to listen and hear the strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats, and be able to combine all the assets and minimize the weaknesses instead of coming in from an authoritarian mode. Rosalind, that's an important point because often when you get into an acquisition or a merger, people stake out their turfs and there's a little bit of people keeping score of wins and losses and who gets to keep this and who gets to keep that. And it's really trying to break down those walls and think and listen and, and just be open to other ideas and look at it objectively and say, what makes the most sense for the organization of the future? Mm. Doug, your ability to listen and not get fixed on one particular perspective brings value to your organizations because you're able to take in ideas to optimize them. What do you believe makes a best place to work from a human capital perspective? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. And I say it depends because what is best in class or best place to work uh, varies based on the industry and, and what human capital capabilities apply vary based on company and industry. So for instance, if I have a company that has a, a bunch of PhD researchers, what is viewed as best place to work to those individuals could be very different than if I have a company that is a bunch of salespeople or a bunch of people on a factory floor. So I think it starts with understanding the company, understanding the purpose. Why does the company exist? What is your purpose in life as a company? Once you know what the purpose is, you say, okay, what are the types of people that we need to attract and retain? Now, presumably you already have lots of people, so you know that fairly intuitively, but what are the people that I need and those are the people who are really going to be the judges as to whether or not it's the best place to work. So once I know who those people are and what the company is trying to achieve, then I can say, okay, what are the human capital levers that I can apply that is important to this group of people and that is important to this company to make it a best place to work? I think sometimes in the popular press, too often what you hear is people will talk about things like ping pong table in the office or free cold brew. By the way, I like cold brew. 
but that doesn't necessarily make it best place to work. I mean, those are nice little perks, perhaps. It's really about the environment that you create. It's about what's important to those individuals. So in some cases, people might be very interested in health and welfare benefits. And maybe that's very important to the people that you're trying to attract. And so you'll put a lot of focus in that area. On the other hand, it may be that I'm interested in development and growth. I'm in a dynamic industry and, and people maybe don't stay with me for a career, but they're willing to come and grow with me for a period of time. And so then I need to focus more on those development opportunities within the organization. So I think it's situationally dependent. And I think it's important that people think about that. With that said, I would say there's a couple of universal elements of human capital that apply. One is what I was just talking about, which is development. I think everybody wants development. Everybody wants to grow. I think, Rosalind, back to your point about everybody wants to be the best you. They want to be the best person they are or they can be. We want to grow people. We want them to continue to feel like they're excelling in an organization and whatever that excelling looks like based on the organization that you're a part of. I think many people are looking for advancement. People don't necessarily want to do the same role for years and years and years. So how do I advance? How do I grow? Or how do I expand my skill set? I think there needs to be a clear path, an articulated path, and an unbiased path about how do you advance and grow within your organization. And I guess the last thing, and kind of back to that unbiased point, is an open and inclusive culture. You know, people want to go to some place every day and spend hours, whether it's via Zoom or it's via in-person office or factory floor or wherever. They want to go to some place where they feel like they can be, they can be who they are and they can add and contribute and they are respected and treated fairly. And so I think those are all key elements that I think apply no matter what the situation. But again, I think it's very situationally dependent. If I'm in the tech industry, I'm probably looking for certain things that might be very different if I'm in more of an old school manufacturing type company. Mm-hmm. If I were to summarize it, would it be something like this? Find out what the best or what's most important means to our people. Make sure that it aligns with the company, appeal to their best interest, stimulate in them the desire to be their best, and then acknowledge them for doing their best. Better said than than the way I articulate it. Absolutely. One of the things I think in human resources and and as CHROs, I like to think sometimes uh, being a CHRO is being a business owner. You have sales, you have marketing, you have revenue. There's all the elements that make up a business you have within a human resources organization and function. And so when you think about best place to work, this is marketing. And you think about like what a marketing organization does. They reach out and they talk to the customer and understand what are the needs of the customer. Well, it's the same thing. It's, it's what do your employees want? The type of person you're trying to attract, what's attractive to them? And then you have to put the right systems and processes in place to support that. Yeah, absolutely. Doug, thanks so much for being our guest today. You've delivered a wealth of information. This has been great, Doug. Thank you so much. So if you enjoyed this episode of How Top Human Resource Professionals Think, like this podcast, subscribe to this channel and share the link on your favorite social media. It's been a joy to be with you. And this is Rosaline Glickman, Bill Brewer and Doug Balsbo signing off today. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit OptimalThinking.com or call us at 424-204-6133. That's 424-204-6133. And as Dr. Glickman reminds us, 
The future belongs to those who bring their best to the present. Have an optimal thinking day. Mm-hmm.